0: be seated. Our Bible reading tonight is from Psalm 145. If you are using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 621. Psalm 145. And before we come to God's Word, let's pray together. Oh Lord our God, as we come to the reading and preaching of your word, Father, we pray that you would be our teacher tonight. We pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to understand your word. Please uh, open uh, the eyes of our hearts, Lord, tonight, uh, so that uh, your word might be clear to us and that you might teach us how to apply it to our own circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 145, reading from verse 1, A song of praise of David. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pull forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all He has made. All your works shall give you thanks shall give thanks to you o lord and all your saints shall bless you they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations the lord is faithful in all he, his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The Presbyterian Church of Australia is committed uh, to the primacy of the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments as the rule of our faith and our practice. We believe that the Bible is the written Word of God and that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Bible is both inherent in the original manuscripts and infallible in the teachings it contains. We believe in the authority, the sufficiency and the necessity of God's revealed Word, the Bible, for all of life. Uh, The Bible is the supreme standard of our Church in matters of faith and practice. We believe that uh, everything in life, matters of doctrines, matters to do with the worship of God, matters to do with society and the world around us, should be tested and examined in light of the Word of God. However, The subordinate standard of our church is the Westminster Confession of Faith. The Westminster Confession of Faith is a document that expresses the doctrine of the Christian faith as it is revealed in the Bible in a clear, systematic and concise way. The Bible is the supreme standard of our faith and the Westminster Confession of Faith is an exhibition of the sense in which we as a church and a denomination understand the Bible and what the Bible teaches. It is the confessional document of our church and in the co- next coming weeks we will be looking at some of the chapters and the uh, of the Westminster Confession Confession of Faith and the doctrines con- contained in it. We will not be preaching the confession we will be preaching the Bible but as we do we will try Uh, to uh, draw a line and make a link and unpack some of the things contained in the Westminster Confession. The chapter that we are looking at tonight is chapter 2 and it speaks to us about God and it says, There is but one only living and true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible Without body, parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free. The Westminster Confession is talking about God here. Most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. For his own glory most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, and most just and terrible in His judgments, hating all sins, and who will by no means clear the guilty." Now in that paragraph alone, and there's three in that particular chapter, there are 24 Bible references. And so we have to make a selection tonight and to help us look at who God is and what He's like and what He has done, we are going to be looking at Psalm 145 tonight. A Psalm of David, a Psalm of praise to God. So our first point tonight, what does Psalm 145 teach us about God? Please, Have your Bible open there with you. There will be lots of references to it. So what does does Psalm 145 teach us about God? David begins by praising God. He says in verse one, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. David uses a small word to speak about his relationship with God. He uses the personal pronoun, my, my God. David knows God. He has a personal and genuine relationship with God. Psalm 145 reminds us that God, our God, is a person who has revealed Himself to us. God has spoken to us and He can be known. The God of the Bible, the only God, is not an impersonal force, or a philosophical concept, or some kind of cosmic energy that we need to tap into. God, our God, is a person who speaks, who communicates, and who comes into relationship with his people. David doesn't have some theoretical notion of who God is. He knows God. He has walked with God in his life, and he has learned to trust God in different circumstances of his life. And we can read about his walk with God in 1 and 2 Samuel, in 1 Chronicles, and in the Psalms that he wrote. David was the king of Israel, but God, his God, was the king who ruled over him. David says in verse 1, my God and king. David knew where he stood before God, he knew that God is king. David was a man. Under the authority of a greater king. In fact, in the Hebrew, the word here could be translated, the king. The ultimate king. The only king. So if you were to translate it like that, it will read, I will extol you, my God, the king. Whatever the translation, David's point remains. God is king. And as king, he reigns in heaven above and earth below. Psalm 99 says, The Lord reigns, he sits and throne upon the cherubim. And David does two things in verse 1. First, he extols God. Uh, to extol means to elevate to a high place, to lift up, to praise very highly. David has a very high view of God. But this is also seen in the next verb that he uses. He uses the verb to bless. This verb can be translated to bend the knee. So in a nutshell, the king of Israel is lifting up God and bowing his knee to a greater king, God himself. God is the true ruler of this world, the true sovereign over all the earth. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that God has most sovereign dominion over all his creatures and all he has made. In his absolute sovereignty and freedom, God has the power and the authority to do as he pleases, whenever he pleases, and how he pleases. God's sovereignty and dominion and rule cannot be hindered by anyone or anything. God's sovereignty is His unrivaled, undisputed right to govern all that He has created. God is King. James Boyce in his commentary says, God is your King because He made you and rules over you. Whether you acknowledge His rule or not, God is King. When we look at the world around us, when we see the chaos, when we see the injustice, when we see the difficulties or the challenges or the persecution that the Church is facing, it is hard sometimes for us to imagine in what way is God reigning. It may be hard for us uh, in those times to praise God. When Joseph, for example, uh, was sold by his brothers to a group of Midian arts traders, we can read about this in the book of in Genesis, So Joseph is sold to a group of Midianites. It would have been hard for him at times to see at the hand of God in the midst of what was going through. When he found himself, that is, Joseph falsely accused in Egypt and sent to prison, he would have found it hard to imagine how God was at work through all that was happening to him. But we know how the story ends. We know how God raised Joseph from prison to a high position in Egypt, and through him, orchestrated to save the lives of many. And we, can, and we can go to the Bible for many such stories. God reigns. So to quote the Westminster Confession, God is working. God is at work. He's working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable, immutable means unchanging, and most righteous will. God is king. What does this David tell us about God? Well, in verse 2, David tells us that he will praise the name of God forever and ever. He doesn't tell us in verse 2 what this name is, but he does in verse 3. David knows the name of God, Yahweh, translated in capital letters, Lord, in our Bibles. This is the covenant name of God. This is the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. God said to Moses that his name was, I am who I am, the Lord, capital letter Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The name of God, I am who I am, speaks about his self-existence. God is self-existent. He has life in Himself. He has always existed and will always exist. God is eternal. So the King who reigns is an eternal King who lives forever, who has life in Himself. God has no beginning and no end of days. God stands outside of space and time. He is above all things and distinct from His creation. And yet, in His love, He has condescended to us and entered into a covenant with humanity. And so when David says in verse 3, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness uh, is unsearchable, David is not exaggerating here. If anything, David is lost for words before the all-surpassing greatness of the Lord, capital letter. Lord, the eternal King that reigns forever and ever. Now, in the Bible, the greatness of God is sometimes, not always, sometimes associated with His wondrous works in creation. So, For example, when God speaks to Job in Job chapter 38, demonstrating His greatness, the Lord says to Job, Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. God says to Job, Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you, Job, entered into the springs of the sea and walked in the recesses of the deep? Can you, Job, bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? In the Bible, the greatness of God is also associated with God's character, his steadfast love, his faithfulness. Great is God's faithfulness. We read about this in Lamentation chapter 3, and we've got a song about this, a hymn Great is Thy Faithfulness. But in this psalm, the greatness of the Lord is unsearchable. David's mind cannot grasp the fullness of God. John Calvin has a Latin expression to describe the greatness of God. And the expression goes like this, finitum non capax infinitum. Finitum non capax infinitum. The finite cannot contain or grasp the infinite. Now Thomas Aquinas uh, lived in the 13th century, you might have heard of him. He was a Dominican friar and a priest. He was a philosopher, he was a theologian, he was a man of great intellect. Aquinas is generally considered, even by Protestant scholars, to be one of the greatest Christian minds that has ever lived. He wrote many great theological works, and then one day, while he was writing, he had an overwhelming, mystical experience of the greatness of God. And from that day day onwards, this great mind, who wrote many great theological works about God, put his pen down. He stopped writing altogether. The story is told that he was given a glimpse of the greatness and majesty and magnificence of God to the point that he put his pen down and stopped writing. God's greatness is unsearchable beyond our comprehension. And we do not have time tonight to look, at, to look in details at all that David tells us about God in this psalm. But the psalm is saturated with God. This is the last of David's psalm in the Psalter. And as someone says, David said his best for last. The psalm is a hymn uh, to the glorious perfections of God. It describes who God is and what God is like. In verse 7, David links God's goodness and God's righteousness together. David is saying to us that God is a king that rules but He rules with goodness, He rules with generosity, He rules with righteousness, unlike the corrupt administrations of this world. In verse 8, David tells us that God is gracious. He freely gives to us what we do not deserve. Still in verse 8, God is merciful. He delights to show compassion and kindness to those in need. So here is a God, here is a King, an eternal King, that rules with justice, with righteousness. With mercy, with grace, with kindness. In verse 9, David tells us about the goodness and mercy of God to all He has made. God's goodness does not only extend to His people, but to all. To all His creation. God gives good gifts to all He has made. He sends rain to all. He provides food and work and cares for all He has made. In verse 14, David tells us that God cares for those who are weak and feeble and beaten down by the oppression of this world. God doesn't abandon us because we have made a mess of our lives. He is near to those who call on Him. Do you know this God? The one true and living God. The ruler of this world. This eternal King. David did, and his knowledge of God fashioned his life. David would praise God every day, not only when things were going well, but every day. David says to us in verse 21, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. David wasn't ashamed to praise the incomparable qualities of God. I do not know who said it first, but someone said that theology should always lead us To doxology. Our faith should always lead us to praise. Doctrine should always lead us to the throne of God in thankfulness, praise, and worship. What does Psalm 145 teach us about what God does? So we've looked at what this Psalm teaches us about who God is, an eternal king who reigns forever and ever, an eternal kingdom with grace and justice and righteousness. What does Psalm 145 teach us about what God does? So, number one, God works. Uh, we observe this throughout this Psalm. God is involved in the world and especially in the life of his covenant community. David uses different words to describe the works of God. In verse 4, David uses the word mighty to describe God's the works of God. David doesn't give us a specific example, but across the pages of the Bible we read about the omnipotence of God, the power of God. God is all powerful. The Westminster Confession of Faith uses the word almighty. Nothing in the universe can resist the power of God. Nothing in the universe can overpower God. He is almighty, all-powerful. God's power is seen at the very start of the Bible, when God created the world out of nothing, with the power of His Word. God spoke, and the world came into being. God spoke, and the universe and the galaxies appeared. We see God's power in commanding nature in the story of Noah and the Great Flood. We see God's power against Pharaoh as God delivers His people out of slavery in Egypt. In verse 5, David uses the word wondrous to describe the works of God. God's works are wondrous. In verse 6, David uses the word might and awesome to describe God's deeds. God works. He's at work in our world. He's working His purposes out on the pages of history. The greatest of His work was done at Calvary, in the death and resurrection of Christ. In this work, God, in Christ, defeated sin and death and the work of the devil. And God continues to work now, applying the riches of the gospel to the hearts of men and women of all the earth by His Holy Spirit. God works. Secondly, God rules And we've looked at this already, so we won't spend much time on this, but God rules, He rules over an eternal kingdom. David says in verse 13, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Uh, The kingdom of this world, the government of this world, the superpowers of this world will rise and fall. They will come and go, but the kingdom of the Lord will endure forever. The splendor of Egypt is no more. The great city of Nineveh is no more. The glory of Greece has disappeared and now Greece is facing great economic challenges. The might of Rome has come and gone. And America wants to be great again, so we'll have to see. But the kingdom of God will endure forever. The church will always exist It may appear to be weak at times, but its light will never be snuffed. The future belongs to the people of God, and they will inherit the kingdom of God, and they will be with God for all eternity. A day will come when we will stand in the presence of this great and eternal King. What else does Psalm 145 teach us about what God does? Number three, God upholds and sustains His creation. David tells us in verse 14 that God, the ruler of this world, the eternal King who reigns forever in His everlasting kingdom, cares about those who are bowed down. You can imagine this, the God of heaven and earth, caring about those who are bowed down. In His common grace, God takes care of His creation. He takes care of those who are oppressed and burdened by life. He provides for His creation even to those who do not acknowledge Him, or ignore Him, and reject Him. God created the world, and God sustains the world, and God provides for the world. The whole world is dependent upon God for its continued existence. Think about this. If God was to remove His upholding and sustaining hands from His creation, everything would cease to be. Think about this. Not only that God made the world, but if He stops sustaining it, everything would cease to be. The Westminster Confession says that God is the fountain of all being. He is the source of all life, the source of all that exists. We owe everything to God. We owe our very existence to God from the air that we breathe to the planet on which we are living. We owe everything to God. What does the Psalm 145 teach us about what God does? And Number four, God answers prayers. In verse 19, David tells us that God hears the prayers of those who call on Him in truth, those who call on Him in faith. Because they know God and love God and trust God and submit to God and depend on God, they have learned in their lives to take their needs to God in prayer. The Bible teaches that God delights in the prayers of His people. He delights to hear our prayers and He wants us to bring our prayers to Him. God answers the prayers of His people. Sometimes He says yes. Sometimes He says no. Sometimes He answers us in a different way. Sometimes He answers us at a different time. But God hears us when we pray and He answers us. Martin Luther once said, Prayer is the mightiest of all weapons that created natures can yield. What does Psalm 145 teach us about what God does? Number five, God judges and destroys the wicked. Now it might come to us as a little bit of a shock to read verse 20, especially at the end of a psalm of praise to God. Uh, David says in this verse, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. After all that we've heard about God's rule and God's greatness and God's grace and God's mercy and God's care, David now closes with a warning, and I will say a promise. It is a warning to us if we consider the words of this psalm carefully and fall into the arms of this great and amazing God who is King Eternal, who made us, It is a warning to us if we consider the word of this psalm carefully and seriously and turn to God in repentance and faith. To us, then, it's only a warning. We've heeded the warning and we've turned to God. It is a warning to us if we acknowledge that we are sinners in need of God's forgiveness and receive it by faith in Christ. But, to those who would continue in their sins, to those who would ignore the warning, To those who would not repent and continue in their rejection of God, to them, verse 20, is a promise. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that God is most just and terrible in His judgments, hating all sin and who will by no means clear the guilty. The Bible is very clear. God is just. God is righteous. God is a righteous judge. He takes wickedness and evil seriously, he takes sin seriously, and he will not let the guilty go unpunished. And one day will come when this great judge will judge the living and the dead. But that day is not upon us yet. That day is not here yet. God is infinitely kind and gracious and slow to anger and steadfast in love. God's free offer of salvation can still be received today, tonight, in repentance and faith. If you do not know the God that David has been speaking about and praising, now is the time to call on Him. He alone is God. He alone is King. He made the world, He gave you life, He made all things. He is from all eternity, He is holy, He is perfect in all His being and attributes, He hates sin. But in His grace, He has sent His Son to die for you and I, for sinners like us. So there is hope. God sent His Son into the world to give us hope, to take away from us our sins, to take away from us The punishment that is due to us, to take away from us, the judgment to come. Jesus gave his life as a payment for our sin and therefore for us, verse 20, doesn't need to be a promise of condemnation. It can turn us to God and bring us hope. We are all sinners. There was a time when all of us lived in rebellion to God, but God in Christ has opened our eyes to the truth. God in Christ has saved us and given us a new life. This new life can be yours tonight, if you turn from your sin and trust in God. The Lord will preserve all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. So what should our response be in light of Psalm 145? What is David doing in this psalm? He's praising God. He's praising the name of God. He's lifting up the name of his God and his King. He's declaring to others who God is and what God has done for his people. Matthew Henry once said, Let us be not afraid of saying too much in the praises of God. All the danger is of saying too little. David is praising God with all his heart. He's passing the baton of faith and knowledge about God to the next generation so that the Lord would be praised from one generation to the next. Paul did the same thing. The Apostle Paul, he entrusted the goodness of the gospel, the apostolic teachings to reliable men and women, who will in turn take the gospel to the next generation. This is what Metro basically is about. It's passing on the baton, the goodness of the gospel, to the next generation. Jesus has given to us the command to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them And then what else? And teaching them all that Christ has commanded. In this psalm, David meditates on the great wonders of God's work in creation and redemption. He spends time meditating on the works of God and shares it with us. Uh, The greatness of God is unsearchable. He meditates upon it, But that doesn't mean that we should not contemplate God because He is unsearchable. God has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And this is what David does in his psalm. He meditates upon God's Word. He writes it down. He tells us about who God is and praises God. It's not just knowledge about God. It's it's the worship of God. It's praising God. It's not just theory. It goes down into our hearts. And David speaks it out. He speaks about God. He sings of God. David gives thanks to God. It is a God-centered hymn of praise to God. May all of our lives be saturated in praise to God. May our hearts and our minds be filled, like David, with the glory, the splendor, the majesty, and the greatness of God. May the name of the Lord dwell on our lips, praising God unceasingly, as those who in Christ have been blessed beyond measure. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, and I will close with this. To God is due from angels and men, and every other creature, whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of them. God, our God, is, wor- is worthy of all praise, worship, and honor. Amen.